ora and welcome to Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories we've been covering for One News. We're coming to you from the legendary TVNZ Beehive Studio. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And I'm Benedict Collins. And we're nearing the end uh, of our podcast. We're nearing the end of the year, creeping into Christmas. Uh, and on that note, we'll start with our peaks. The jolly, jolly good times this week, guys. Yeah, um, I mean, again, which will surprise everyone, uh, mine's a slightly geeky um, high of the week, but we had um, a visiting um, official from the US, the US Assistant Secretary of Defence for Asian and Pacific Security Affairs, Randall Shriver, and we got to go along to a briefing and um, talk to him about the relationship between the US and New Zealand and also the influence of China, and I very much enjoyed it and found it really fascinating. So that was my... Hi, don't look at me like that. It was really good. It didn't quite make it to the six o'clock news, but it was fascinating. So that was my high and I really enjoyed it. Ooh. Mikey? Mikey, <laughs> yes. I have a um, surprise for everyone. Last week uh, in our Pits and Our Peaks, I told you all about the secret project that we've been working on uh, here in the gallery uh, for One News. So here it is, guys. Ta-da! Ta-da-da-da! And I am holding up in my hand... Um, a Christmas greeting card from the One News Press Gallery team. We did a bit of a team photo um, in the Banquet Hall of Parliament in front of one of their old fireplaces. Um, And uh, Benedict is in a Santa costume, for those of you listening. Um, And uh, we've got, yeah, some great theme there. Do you guys want to add a bit into that? Oh, it was was just a joy. Um, It was talked about for quite a long time before we did it. Um, And, yeah, it's a little bit of festive cheer. Um, We get some Christmas cards from some of the politicians and so we just thought we'd up the ante a little bit and do something a bit personalised and I think, you know, we're, we're set the bar quite set high. Bar. It's yeah. pretty epic, guys. We're going to be sending those out to uh, MPs. I think my other peak of the day actually is writing the personalised um Greetings. We're about a tenth cards. of the way through. Mm. All the laughs we have. Some of us are going <laughs> faster than others. Benedict Collins. Yeah. Hey, so over to me then, I guess. Hey, my peak of the week, um, so I worked on a story. David Seymour, he's got his assisted uh, dying bill, um, you know, that would bring in euthanasia for certain people who are in sort of with terminal illness. You know, there's a, there's a group of politicians here who are absolutely dead set against it, um, you know, really absolutely opposed. So th- this week he basically, after the... Um, the select committee process finished. He came up with a few ideas to try and win some of them over, particularly to try and win uh, Maggie Barry over, his fiercest critic. And um, I went and interviewed Maggie Barry about this um, with with his peace offering and the spirit of Christmas. Um, he was offering to bring her palliative care uh, bill into his. And um, I think my interview with Maggie was probably the uh, hi- highlight of the week. Vicious, acid-tongued, cruel, mean, beat down his offer. It was it was just fantastic. That's so I think awesome. yeah, that was quite peak. Yeah, and what about the pits, guys? Um, My pit at the moment is in television. I'm not sure if many of you will know this because no one's really watching over Christmas, but we have to create like a year-in-review story that can play over the Christmas period, particularly on Christmas Day when we don't have any ads. So we're allowed three minutes to to do sort of a sum-up of the year in politics. Three minutes sounds like a long time. It's really not, and my challenge at the moment is condensing our entire giant huge year of politics into three minutes so um yeah i think i'm at about 450 at the moment so maybe doing some slicing later on this afternoon Hmm. benedict um it's it's not really a pit but it it was excruciating tv and that was um 
Sunday night Q&A, Corin um, uh, interviewing the Housing Minister, Phil Twyford, about the um, missing Kiwi Build boss, and we're going to have a look at this soon. But uh, some of the exchanges there between um, uh, the Housing Minister and Corin were excruciating it was watching. the pauses, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at we that should, in a moment. We should do but, like an awkward pause just to show you. It was like that <laughs> through the whole thing. It was awful. Um, my pit actually is that I only got one white bait fritter at the Labour Māori Caucus Christmas Media Drinks. Oh, that was a long name to get out. Um, so, you know, not, not, not that Because you talked the pits, about them all day too. I talked about yeah. them all day. Um, <laughs> I think Kitty Allen brought in the white mm. bait from the, from the mighty East Coast, as she'd say, and um, I only got one, so that was a bit disappointing. But on the other... On the upside, it was pretty good. Good. Cool. Anyway, should we check out our first track? Yeah. Let's have a look at the Kiwi Build track. The housing minister and Kiwi Build boss getting down to business just a few months ago. Stephen Barclay, who heads up the Kiwi Build uh, team. Now it appears Mr. Barclay is no longer heading up the team, and the minister insists he knows nothing. It's it's literally n- not my job to know. Stephen Barclay was appointed to the job in May, Phil Twyford then congratulating him on Twitter, but now refusing to answer other basic questions. Do you have confidence in him? Corin, I can't comment on this. You must be very disappointed at the very least that he's either not mm. going to be in the job permanently or is not in the job. It was one of the worst performances I've seen from a minister. I think Jacinda Ardern needs to seriously consider whether Phil is in fact capable of doing this job. The Prime Minister hasn't shed much more light on the matter. It is an operational matter and therefore unfortunately I'm going to be very boring on this. Do you think the Housing Minister is doing a good job of running KiwiBuild? Yes I do. The Ministry of Housing and Urban Development issued a short statement today confirming that Stephen Barclay is not at work but saying that he has not resigned. One News understands that lawyers are now involved. But the opposition still want answers. I think Phil Twyford needs to just front up and say what has happened, and I think New Zealanders should expect that. To leave us all in suspense uh, with the CEO of a government flagship policy over this period of time, uh, you know, that's just not good enough. Mr Barclay has not responded to a request for comment. Really, sort of interesting story and how this has played out over the week. You know, this um, uh, was supposed to be, you know, another good week getting a run on the board for um, Phil Twyford with, uh, in Wellington, announcing that new Kiwi Build development, you know, right near the Basin Reserve. You know, things looked like they were going to get off to a good start, but then he really got dragged into this, you know, uh, where has this Kiwi Build guy gone? Um, uh, Stephen Barclay, who's only been in the role a few months, uh, you know, now not turning up to work. And really in that interview, just sort of, uh, it was like they didn't know what to say. Or, you know, he's, he must have been told, don't go there. You know, this uh, it's an employment matter, don't go there. And he didn't. But uh, so they, they kind of kept that line on Monday as well, even the Prime Minister and Postcab as well, saying, no, 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 we're not going to talk about it. We can't get involved. We can't get involved. By Tuesday morning, they'd realised that they couldn't stick with this line. And so um, it was interesting to see Phil Twyford coming out Tuesday morning saying, oh, hey, look, yeah, I was briefed about this, that there was an employment matter on the 31st of October. That's when I started to realise you know, there was an issue here and saying you know, that he became aware in November that um, the Kiwi Bill boss simply wasn't turning up to work anymore. So it's still not clear exactly what sort of a dispute's gone on here, but yeah, you know, sort of messy and overshadowing what 
I guess what he had hoped was going to be, you know, sort of a decent announcement. And I guess the reason this is a big deal is because this is the government's big policy. It's ambitious and it's bold and they're trying to fix this problem and this guy is here trying to help them with that. Oh no, wait, but there's a problem with that. And then it makes you question the things around it. Okay, so can they carry on with doing it? Does that put a halt to things? So it just, it that's why it's a big deal and that's why it looks messy for the government and I guess why it's so important that we're asking these questions over and over again about what's happening. Because if you've got this, and, we, and as you say, we don't know, but if you've got this guy in there who um, isn't um, liking the ideas or doesn't think that they can do it or... Um, or doesn't think that um, he can work with the minister, which has been ruled out by the government. That, I mean, early in the week, we didn't we didn't have that information. So that's why we had to ask those questions over and over. But I think it's a funny line, too, for the government to take. Oh, we know it's not due to the policy, or we know what, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a falling yeah, it doesn't out. doesn't look bad on But us. we don't know, yeah. actually have no idea what it is about. Yeah. You know, sort of, I think perhaps they know more than they're, uh, than they're letting on there. Uh, and they're just not willing to go there. But I think, you know, they're, they're clearly... Um, Trying to come to uh, you know some sort of a exit arrangement. It looks like at, at the moment the state services commissioner was uh, he, he appeared before parliament this week at a select committee. He was saying afterwards that he had been asked, uh, I think, for a bit of advice on what was going on here. Um, so yeah, messy, and it comes after us not big problems, but lots of little kind of hiccups with around the Kiwi build. And I think to be fair, though, you're always going to get that when you you know setting out such an ambitious yeah. project, right? You're starting from scratch, you're trying to build up to build 100,000 houses. There's always going to be hiccups, mm. right? Yeah, I, I agree with that point. I, you know, it's it's such a huge project and there are going to be issues, but it feels like there is something new each week with this Kiwi build and that's what's becoming the big problem for the government is that each week there's something new that they're having to defend or diffuse uh, and it's quickly becoming the Achilles heel in, in many ways for the government. And yes, again, it is a huge project, so you, you can expect that, but I just wonder whether Phil Twyford is handling it well enough, um, especially with that performance, as you mentioned, on Q&A it was bizarre just I mean and on the flip side he's got a lot do you know what I mean like he's got mass, two massive portfolios um, and then to have to deal with this thing that he can't he can't talk about you know what I mean like it's yeah it, it was the performance on the weekend wasn't great and he didn't he should have had the line but you know I guess in terms of minister workload just you know just to stick up for him a little bit in case, you know, Phil But is it, it is interesting, right? You've got a minister who's come in. Yeah. You've got this incredible housing crisis, so he's, he, he's been given that. He inherited Housing New Zealand, you yeah. know, which was out of control with its uh, meth campaign, and he quickly p- put a stop to that. And he's and he's also, you know, sort of in charge of uh, NZTA, which is another mm. story that we're about mm. to have a look at, which is, you know, totally failing to, to regulate the industry properly. So he's, he's sort of inherited... Uh, you know, some pretty big headaches here. Mm. And Judith Collins would probably question whether or not he's bitten off more than he can chew then if he mm. does have so much, such big issues on his plate. Um, this is a real test for him and uh, I'd question whether or not he's handling it as well as he should perhaps. And I guess the thing is, is what he's needing to do now is get some runs on the board, is trying to be like, okay these houses ticked off, these houses ticked off, so that when he's asked continually in the debating chamber, so how many houses, how many houses, he can start coming back with a with a number that's something to be proud of. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, talking to Amelia this week, uh, they have realised, uh, I think, you know, talking about the hiccups that seem to keep coming up in 
up again and again. It's a lot to do with the ballot system. And I think they didn't realise uh, that they have to wait until the houses are a lot more ready to go. That They have to stop going out so early, like with Takolfta, that, um, you know, where there wasn't a sim- single application. And he, and he said, you know, we've realised we can't do this, you know, one and a half, two years before the houses are ready, right? First home buyers don't want to lock into something that far down the line because your situation can change, right? But I feel so like I think that's gonna, not rocket science, so. though, you know first-home buyers are going to be nervous about buying something that they can't see, you know what I mean? For all mm, of us, it's such right? a yeah. big investment and yada, yada, yada. Like, I feel like if you'd sat down and thought about it, you would have thought, yeah, of course they're not going to do that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, should we, have, should we have a look at the NZTA one? Yes, let's have a look at the NZTA track, uh, who appeared before Select Committee this week. This Auckland garage is one of the latest suspended from issuing warrants of fitness in a crackdown affecting thousands of motorists. We're in the process of contacting 21,000 New Zealanders advising them to have their vehicles rechecked. The agency is reviewing around 850 files over compliance by transport businesses and warrant of fitness certifiers. So far, 54 notices to revoke or suspend have been issued, as well as 28 immediate suspensions. We have had what uh, some may call a very laissez-faire attitude to regulation, and over time it has actually just got worse. NZTA itself guilty of an overly relaxed attitude to the rules, spanning almost a decade until the arrival of Chairman Michael Stiasny earlier this year. I'm comfortable that we're on a path to fixing what is a broken regulatory system, but it will take time. Chief Executive Fergus Gammy resigned earlier this week, with more departures expected and the NZTA board also under scrutiny. Had you read some papers where the board questioned the regulatory compliance? I have not read those papers. Um, Because they didn't exist? I have not seen them. Following NZTA's appearance at Parliament, the Ministry of Transport sat down in the hot seat, facing questions over whether it failed to monitor such widespread failings. I know there are lessons because even from where I'm looking, I can see some things that, with the benefit of hindsight, we we could have done. Two inquiries are underway, one report expected by the end of the year and the other in March 2019. So this is obviously an absolute nightmare for um, the New Zealand Transport Authority. You've got over 20,000 motorists who are having to check, recheck their cars to see basically if they're safe enough to be on the road. Um, that must be hugely concerning also for motorists as we set into head into the Christmas period. Everyone's going to be out on the road with their families, travelling from A to B, um, and so you'd really want to know quickly whether or not your car's one of those things. That's, that's the first thing. Um, and then sort of daily we're seeing and, and we're told to continue to expect um, more businesses, more organisations being pulled up um, for flouting the regulations um, and basically I think all we can say is um, thank God for Michael Stasny, uh, the chairman who came in in April earlier this year, who uncovered such deep-rooted um, rot, you could say, in NZTA that spanned almost a decade. Yeah, I think um, also what you had was... Um a journalist in particular, Phil Pennington, who's done a whole series of stories that have looked particularly at, at trucks and all the problems that they've had with the certifications around the trucks. And basically, that, I think, kind of spurred the minister into having a deeper look at what was going on here and just revealing that the transport agency just 
for years and years would not regulate the industry. You know, when they had guys, you know, um, people out there doing wolfs or coughs or whatever, you know, who weren't doing their job properly, they just refused to crack down on them, right? And they just always say, oh, we can educate them, we can educate them. You know, even they'd, they'd watch guys, we did a story just a week or two ago, you know, they'd go to a... Um, a guy in Dargaville who was, you know, doing warrants of fitness, and they watched them not even checking this, the seat belts, right, again and again and again, and they didn't shut them down. They didn't stop them from issuing warrants of fitness, and, and in the end, an accident, uh, a person died in an accident where the seat belt, seat belt failed that had been inspected by this company. You know, so a pretty extraordinary failure from a government, you know, agency here. And I guess the other question is the legal implications. So like you say, if people are heading off on their Christmas break and then there is an accident and that goes back to that and back to that they didn't get their check properly, um, whether there are implications for that as well. You know what I mean? Like it's a huge 20,000 is a lot of cars that need to be rechecked. And I bet everyone won't have the time or inclination to do that pre-Christmas before they go on their big summer road trip. So... Yeah, some pretty staggering numbers when you think about it like that. And I mean, 150, there were 150 cases where they think public safety could be at risk, right? That they're going back through and reviewing now. And that kind of puts it in perspective, right? You, you, and you've had trucks where the trailers have broken off the, you know, the front of the truck and, and come loose because, you know, they, they just haven't been doing, you know, proper proper checks and stuff like that. I noted um, about, an, about an hour or so ago, they, um, the State Services Commissioner, he always does this right before Christmas, you know, at the end of the year on a Friday as well. He puts out the um, uh, chief executives um, in the public sector, their pay. So Fergus Gammy, who was the chief executive for the last few years at the Transport Agency, um, he, he, he quit um, you know, earlier this week and um, as the heat sort of came up. Uh, he was paid 650000 last year and they did put an asterisk next to that 650k and said oh his performance pay hasn't quite been uh, determined Ooh, just yet wow. for the last year mm. yeah I mean I mean I think we've got to take a, a sort of leaf out of the book of Shane Jones on this one when you're seeing those um, people who hold such um, uh, roles of responsibility and earn such huge pay packets the expectations should be equally as high um, and so you know it's no surprise that he resigned earlier Earlier this week, the buck also doesn't stop there. I mean, there were huge amounts of people over that nine-year period who allowed that sort of uh, behaviour and attitude to continue in the way that we're sort of um, looking at regulations and compliance. I mean, I'd like to see many more people held to account on this. It put lives at risk, basically. It's scandalous. Um, and I just, you know, we see sort of every day these different garages and organisations getting pinged and their licence suspended, revoked and so on. They are paying um, the penalty for for this issue. But what about those who are in the roles of responsibility over this whole matter? What, what sort of penalties are they going to have well, to pay? Well, I wonder if it will be a no performance bonus this year. Imagine if he does get one, though. That'll be fantastic. But then they could easily go on, and many of them have. Obviously, it's gone over for, for nine years, so many of them have moved on to other senior roles yeah. yep. when they've shown such incompetence. But what, what sort of feeling did you get at the um, select committee with him about accountability flowing down? Obviously, the chief executive realised the game's over for him. He's gone. Yeah. Um, you know, as the sort of inquiries go on into into the full scale of the failings, but what sort of feeling did you get from um, Stiersny about what 
Uh, he, he, he certainly said that the account, it wouldn't be fair for accountability to only lie with um, Mr Gammy and sort of alluded to the fact that the board and even the Ministry of Transport and he also went as far as to perhaps um, point to the auditors, um, which is KPMG and, and, and others um, who were also involved in, in a lot of the oversight over the years. Um, but he said that uh, the determination um, in terms of accountability um, would come from the reviews that are currently underway. So whether the reviews sort of put some weight behind um, the, the justification for accountability of those who held those senior roles. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, but the other thing is just Interesting to note that this sort of strategy of sort of more carrot, less stick, more education, less regulation um, is something that we've seen in other sort of uh, government um, agencies and, and areas and sectors. So maybe there's, there's a need for a rethink of that sort of approach um, and, and not just in, in terms of transport and, and regulation and compliance, but perhaps other sectors and other areas where that is the strategy. And I wonder if we see that more with a change of government, like you say. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. It's been a big week. Mm. Um, And another big story for you this week as well. Yeah, so um, the government announced its um, long-awaited response to the synthetic cannabis crisis. Have a look at the story. It's been causing carnage. Now a warning to synthetic cannabis dealers from the top. We will come after you and we will find you. The suppliers, we're going to go after. We're unapologetic about that. The police will also get new search and surveillance powers. We can access uh, covert surveillance powers, which is a really important tool in targeting organised crime. We are giving the police the same powers as they do to go after meth, for example. It's tragic, and if it wasn't so serious, it would be comical. Uh, The war on meth has been lost. There were four key parts in today's crackdown. Two types of synthetic cannabis will become Class A drugs. $16 million for addiction treatment services and intelligence gathering. A new temporary drug classification category. And specifying in law that police should use discretion on whether to arrest people for the possession of all drugs. The government will be hoping its experts were wrong after they advised it that there's simply no evidence that increasing penalties will deter either use or supply. And despite the there's a new sheriff in town tough talk from the police minister this morning, the government insists this isn't the start of yet another failed war on drugs. No, um, the therapeutic approach outlined today for users um, is part of a health-based approach, as too is going after suppliers. That's the right way to deal with it. Go hard on the manufacturers uh, and treat those who might be using. Oh look, it's just prohibition whack-a-mole. For months, the Greens have urged the government against elevating synthetic cannabis to a Class A drug. I would describe this as a move towards reinforcing the war on drugs. Today, a new tune. What's changed? Today, what we have managed to negotiate with our government partners is to treat drug use and addiction as the health issue that it is. Winston Peters today pulled his party's support for a national MP's bill on the matter. It's taken the government quite a long time to figure out how it's going to respond to this. You know, it was in, in, in July, I think, that Winston Peters called for you know an, an urgent response. And it's been really interesting watching the way that the coalition government has been trying to figure out how to do it. You, know, you had New Zealand First and Winston Peters supporting National Simeon Brown's bill, right? You know, that was going to crack down on, on all synthetic drugs. 
and that kind of you know forced labor and 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 the, and the greens to get going on this so it's been interesting watching that maneuvering but i guess i thought a couple of things the greens had just been urging the government not to make this a class um you know saying increasing these penalties uh, you know locking people up increasing penalties doesn't actually reduce you know, demand doesn't reduce harm. Really calling for more of a health-based approach. So they've announced 16 million, um, you know, for, for addition, uh, addiction, and health responses over four years. So a couple of million dollars a year that, that is going into these initiatives. But they also made it a class, right? So people who are who are dealing dealing this stuff or supplying, you know, are facing life imprisonment. People who are using it also face being in prison, right? And I think one of the stats that they put out yesterday is this. I think there's 52 Kiwis in prison at the moment simply for using drugs. Um, but then what I thought was really interesting was Stuart Nash, the police minister, on the one hand saying, you know, we're going to put it in law that we want police, the default, if you get caught using drugs, is for you to be referred through to health or addiction help rather than being arrested and prosecuted, right? At, at the same time, he, 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 he says, you know, just a couple of, a minute later, um, uh, I expect police will continue to prosecute people for possession when appropriate under the guidelines announced today. And when appropriate, he thinks, uh, you know, if there's public disorder, uh, if there's a if, if the safety of others is at risk from drug use, if there are other victims, um, uh, you know, depending on the seriousness of the circumstances. So it's like, oh, we want to, we want police not to prosecute and to treat it as a health issue, but I fully expect police to prosecute in the right circumstances. So police already use their discretion, so I'm not sure if anything's really going to change. Message, eh? Yeah, it's like, hey, we want to treat it as a health issue, and I fully expect them to continue prosecuting in certain cases. So... How much is actually going to change with this announcement? I'm not sure. The other thing was really interesting was the Greens. Um, Chloe Swarbrick, real firebrand MP, so passionate about you know drug law reform. Um, I've been doing a number of stories with her over the last couple of months, just really banging, banging on. Do not make this a class. You know this will achieve absolutely nothing. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, and lots of other people coming forward and saying, hey, you make it a class. You push up the penalties, you push up the value. All you're really doing is is, is helping the dealers, right? Because you're making their drug, uh, you know, more profitable. You're pushing up the value of it. They're the guys that are going to win. And it and, and and we know that the government has advice saying pushing up the penalties does nothing. Um, it does not deter use and it does not deter supply. So to watch Chloe um, come out yesterday at the press conference, sort of take a back seat behind Marta Davidson, I thought was interesting. Just in the you know sort of logistics behind that, and then sort of coming out and saying no no, no I fully support this this is great this is great we're treated as a health issue thought well but that's yeah. politics isn't it yeah. MMP politics but it's also I think it's also you know quite a quite a back down and maybe they are happy with what um you know that the sixteen million that they're putting towards addiction treatment services and the extra emphasis on not arresting unless it's in the public interest I think. We still don't know really what that means, but you know, clearly um, backing down on that. Yeah, having to swallow that dead rat. And 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 I think probably put under quite a bit of pressure to come out and support this. Yeah, and I just think that's sometimes when you come in, um, it must be tough for politicians to have to be like, I believe in this, but I'm also part of a party, and I have to suck it up, and that must. You must have to stand there and smile at that press conference and say your lines mm. and get out. That's the 
Yeah. You know? And another really uh, interesting thing that I thought you said at the little press conference um, uh, with with Marma Davidson and Chloe Swarbrick was, um, uh, you know, with the, the extra talk of police using their discretion, and Marma made the point that it's Māori, you know, who come off worse when it comes to our drug laws. And that's a direct result of discretion, right? Like, it's absolutely in your favour not to be Māori when it comes to the police deciding whether or not they're going to prosecute you. And, for, you know, for this to continue, is anything going to change? I'm not sure. Well, we're slowly clawing our way to the end. We've got... Th- Usually we'd be finished by now um, and the politicians would head back home, but we've still got three more days to go. So we've got Cabinet on Monday, then we've got two more sitting days, Tuesday, Wednesday. But when we were clearing out, we're switching offices over summer, and when we were clearing out, we found um, this little bag. And this was from last year's podcast, um, Christmas edition. And what they'd done is they'd put all these little notes in here um, with to prompt you to answer questions. So we thought we'd do one or two of these just to get us into the Christmas spirit. Um, and also kind of crazy to think that a year ago, um, today a little nod to Karen and Andrea and Katie who did it last year. So shall we... Should I just draw one out at random? Yeah. Let's okay. do it. All right. So this one says... Oh, I feel like this isn't a great one to start. Anyway. <laughs> what to look for in 2019? What I mean, to, to be fair, for? just for clarification, it said 2018, but Jess scratched out. Yeah, Jess Roden scratched out our um, political producer and put 2019, so just for clarification. What to look for in 2019? The National Party leadership, basically, is what I'll be looking at. I and mean, we've seen Judith Collins come up behind Simon Bridges in the preferred Prime Minister poll. Yeah, so our polls will be fascinating, eh? Yeah, so um, I look forward to seeing how Simon Bridges will continue to poll, whether he can move off that 7% um, or whether that will be his doom. Mine is another minor party that could get into bed with National. I reckon we watch up for that next year. I think that would be interesting to a, see how that develops. A new one to emerge, do you think? Or yeah. one of the I don't current know. players? I don't know. It could be a current player. I think watch the space. That's my prediction. Mm. So uh, kind of, I'm interested to see a couple of things next year. Mm. Jamie Lee Ross coming back to Parliament. Oh, yeah. If, if he does, what's going to go down there? You yeah. know, um, Will he fall into line and just be a quiet independent down the back or is he going to continue you know, uh, tipping things over for the National Party or is doing his best there? I think that'll be yeah. an interesting one to watch. And I, th- I wonder whether we're going to start to see a bit more noise coming from your Greens and your New Zealand first you know getting closer to the to the election year in 2020 start to fire up a bit more over a few more issues try Um, reassert themselves as an independent yeah yeah I think I think we might see you know some moves from those guys next year as they try to yeah get grab the attention a bit more which goes to show there's lots Mm. of interesting things happening so you should tune into One News next year should we do one more yeah Biggest issue of the year. Oh, Jamie Lee Ross was pretty giant. Is that can that be an issue? I think that yeah, can be I an think, issue. Yeah. yeah. Jamie Lee Ross and the whole saga around it. I think that was the big one, big defining moment of the year. Yeah. Biggest issue of the year is the performance of the new government. Um, Obviously, critical time for them, seeing how uh, any other party would work with 
New Zealand first and then also the Prime Minister um, leading this kind and caring, compassionate, loving, absolutely joyful Merry Christmas government. Mikey's <laughs> no, into it. Um, and seeing how that all pans out for them. Um, it's thrown up a few um, uh, challenges for them at times um, given given their position to be that kind and, compa uh, and compassionate government and it's sort of um, put them in tricky spots at times when they've had to be a little less kind. Yeah, I think the biggest issue for me, it might not be that politically the, the biggest issue, but I think an issue which made a, a big difference to the lives of hundreds if not thousands of New Zealanders would be Phil Twyford coming in and you know, ending the madness with the um, the meth testing, the, the bogus testing that was being done by Housing New Zealand that was absolutely out of control. Good I think that's, that's going to make actually one. that is good. You yeah, know, I think since we slammed him up earlier in the podcast. Yeah, well, that's so right. well I tried to, to remember. To be fair, you know, you, you had very you had very vulnerable New Zealanders being yeah, targeted yeah, yeah. by you know a, pre a pretty vindictive Housing New Zealand, um, and to have all that shut down and mm. to see these people getting compensation, you could argue it's not enough for. For a lot of these people, not only did they get kicked out of their homes, they had all their, you know, made homeless, they had all their possessions burnt off the back of this bogus meth testing. Um, you know, to have things start to turn around for those guys, I think that was pretty cool. Well, should we leave it there? That was our fun little game. We might even play it next week if we've got um, some time left. Um, but should we leave it there? Thanks for the game, guys. We really enjoyed it. See you next week. Yeah.